to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we are back in the homeland, and the weather is so, so nice here in sunny South Florida. The Combine is a wrap. We'll conclude our podiums recap with the defensive backs. We'll discuss some mock drafts and expert opinions on what went down in Indianapolis as it relates to your Miami Dolphins. We'll chop up the great interview with Juice West, Pat, and Sam. I give you my five Dolphins takeaways from the Combine, and we finish up with a couple of stories from the week that was out in the Midwest. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Miami Dolphins. So the Combine is in the books, and what a fun trip it was here for the Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by Auto Nation. But before we do that, a little bit of breaking news. The Dolphins have placed the franchise tag on tight end Mike Gesicki, a second-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. And he saw his production really get better as we went along in his four-year career, and now he will resume his career into its fifth season with your Miami Dolphins. He's just one catch shy of 200 for his career for 2,255 yards and 13 total touchdowns. Those receiving yards and touchdowns are third among all tight ends in Miami Dolphins history, and his 73 grabs last year tied a club record for catches by a tight end, and his 780 receiving yards were 11 shy of the club record by tight ends. You've seen Mike make play after play down the football field, the explosive element of his game, the large catch radius, the reliable hands, the ability to box out defenders and body them up. He gets those safeties and linebacker mismatches, and in an offense that we... Know about with Waddle's speed and potentially some more resources infused to import more speed at the skill positions, then you could see some even more favorable matchups for a guy like Mike Gasicki. He gives you another weapon on the offense, and it's always nice to retain your talent. The tag for tight ends checks in right under $11 million for this year, $10.9 million to Mike Gasicki. So the Dolphins make that move ahead of Tuesday's deadline back to the Combine. And the whole week was just random weather out there. The very first day it touched 60 degrees and I get outside with my long sleeve shirt, my sweatshirt, my gloves, and my North Face jacket buttoned all up, ready to get on one of those bird scooters. And I walk outside and someone sees me in my Aqua Dolphins gear and laughs because obviously the guy wearing all that gear in 60 degrees has to be from South Florida. So the first day at 60 degrees, that happens. And the very next morning when I leave the hotel and the automatic doors opened up to the street in Indianapolis, I was blasted with a nice breeze at 28 degrees. And it was at that moment that I just decided it was time to hop on the bird scooter for the rest of the week. Turned 14-minute walks into exactly 3 minutes and 47 seconds on the scooter every single time, like to the second, completely wild. But that was my, my favorite part of like, just being an indie was riding those things around. They're they're a lot of fun. They're fast and they you can kind of get cooking on them. But we'll do a couple of combine stories here at the end of this podcast to give you the full experience. Why don't we go ahead and first conclude with defensive backs media that we never got to 
on the podcast. And just real briefly here, Joshua Thompson, the Texas cornerback, who talked a little bit about his former teammate and current Miami Dolphin, Brandon Jones, and what he's meant to him in his football life. Uh, it's just his, his mindset of what he approaches things. Uh, like I said, me and Brandon have been knowing each other since we were around seven or eight years old, playing against each other and everything. And so when he's more like, I wouldn't even call him a friend, but more like a brother. Uh, when I need something, I go to him, whether it's just help or understanding uh, defenses, or if it was last year and I was just going through a tough time, I would call him. But he's more like a brother to me, and I can talk to him about anything. Do you kind of celebrate his big plays when you watch him on Sunday? Oh, yeah, I'll celebrate. I, even if I can't even tune into the game, I'm searching his name up, looking what he's doing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I love seeing that because, I mean, like I said, coming from a small town like Nacogdoches, you rarely see uh, guys make it out there. So that's just – He's setting a standard, and I'm just going to follow it and set it too. So. Nacogdoches, uh, Texas there. Sorry, let's go ahead and turn that sound off. Nacogdoches, Texas. I, I had to look that up a few times to spell it correctly. But if you guys never heard my uh, Meet the Rookie series back in the first year with the Dolphins for myself with Brandon Jones in that 2020 draft class, go back and check out that podcast where I talked to Brandon, his mother, uh, Tom Herman at Texas. You could kind of get that community sense there among them and, and just the way Brandon was wired that way. I thought it was cool to hear from a another player who played on his college team there at Texas. Speaking of impressive young men, Kyler Gordon, just the way he spoke through the process of his approach to the game, the process throughout the course of the week to prepare for an opponent and how that was able or allowed him to really shut down opposing receivers in the Pac-12 all year long, just like his teammate Trent McDuffie, who said that he watches games, four games, I should say, every day in his tape study leading up to a game on Saturday, now Sundays, obviously, And it says it takes him from about 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. every single night. That dedication to the craft, I thought, was really apparent throughout the course of the four days talking to these players and just how into the process all these guys are at this stage of their career. It's part of, like, the modern-day athlete who really majors in his sport, right? Like, there's it's all football all the time for a lot of these guys, and it really, really shows up. Just a couple more notes here I wanted to touch on with the Combine wrapping up. And, you know, some of the common themes I heard from the week and prior to that with Daniel Jeremiah's uh, annual conference call. I couldn't think of the damn name for that. The conference call with the entire you know nationwide media covering the draft, taking like 100 questions over the course of multiple hours. Great stuff there as he does every single year. And then also Jordan Reed and Emery Hunt uh, coming on drive time and Ben Solak. And some of the things we heard across that spectrum there, you heard Jordan Reed talk about Cole Strange and Luke Fortner on the... I think it was the Friday edition of the Drive Time podcast about those two players and and how he liked them for certain fits for certain systems with the you know we talk about the wide zone and the the stretch run and the McVay and the Shanahan and ultimately what Mike McDaniel might do with the Miami Dolphins and how those particular fits jived with something Daniel Jeremiah discussed in that pre-draft conference call with regards to the Miami Dolphins in the offensive line. And two of the things that he said above all was guys who can move and guys who are smart. And so I went back and kind of looked at some Cole Strange and Luke Fortner and also Zion Johnson, who was the third name that Daniel Jeremiah put in that group. But Strange, with the engineering background, was all set to go to a service academy before opting for football at Chattanooga, kind of in the 11th hour there. And then Luke Fortner from Kentucky, who we talked about this with him at the Combine about what makes him a good fit for that system, being a guy who played in the wide zone system at Kentucky under Liam Cohen, their offensive coordinator, who has since been rehired by the Rams, where he was previously an offensive assistant, to now an offensive coordinator. 
in a similar system, right? Like the, the, obviously the same wide zone idea there exists or principles of that wide zone. And he mentioned his quickness off the football as a strength of his and operating intelligently in Leon Cohn's offensive system and a guy with two master's degrees too. So, I mean, what while playing football, which is a full-time job, obviously in college, it blows you away what some of these kids are capable of. Both those guys with very strong off-seasons so far in the Senior Bowl, now the Combine in this pre-draft process, just checking boxes, which is what you want to see from these prospects, right? Cole Strange just blew it out of the, out of the Combine. 503, 40-yard dash. That was the seventh best among interior offensive linemen. A 4.5-second shuttle was fourth. Three-cone, 744 was fourth best, and his 10-foot broad jump was best, finishing with the second overall athleticism score from next-gen stats among all IOL. His 90 was behind only the third guy that Jeremiah mentioned, Zion Johnson, who had a 93. So three points clear of the second place runner up in that regard. And you've heard plenty about Johnson now on this podcast. He's been a a kind of a star on the show here the last week or so. And it certainly seems like he's trending towards a top 25 pick. Of course, Miami picking 29th might miss out on his talents being just what he's done in checking the boxes this offseason. The other Dolphins specific question that was posed to Jeremiah was about the wide receivers. And he said in that particular vein, or at least what the, what the Niners have done in the past. And he made sure to mention that, you know, we we don't know what McDaniel, his vision or his overall thought is, is for sure going to be. But if you go off past experience with the McVay Shanahan type of systems, they both talk about having guys that can play all three positions. And we've seen that with Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle here. And and Jeremiah mentioned as a possible pick there at 29 and Jamison Williams from Alabama, where you put those speed merchants on either side, you miss one tackle, it's over. And you keep adding guys like that. He mentioned a track team run after the catch team with the ball out quick and how quick and efficient and accurate Tua Tungavailoa is. He believes those are the good meshes there with this quarterback here in the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, Pro Football Focus gave us a great list of players at that position, or I should say their draft guide does. And I poured through it and found the ones that really stood out to me of guys across the board who had the most reps both inside and outside. Because again, we've seen Devontae Parker play both inside outside throughout his entire career, which I think is a little bit of a uh, misconception that, you know, slot doesn't just mean short and fast. Like you can be multiple types of slot receivers and Parker's good evidence of that. You know, a, a well over six feet tall guy who has the leaping ability and and ability to win those 50-50 balls, but he can also play a a quality inside slot position. And then Jalen Waddle, same story, right? Different type of player, but he can play both inside and outside as well for two examples on the Dolphins roster. But some of the receivers getting top 100 buzz in this year's draft, like a David Bell out of Purdue, 122 slot snaps out of 739. That's about in line with a flexible type of outside receiver, as you'll see as we go along this. Traylon Burks, however, 529 slot snaps out of 717, and he's had that split his whole career. He's an 80% slot receiver in college. Jahan Dotson from Penn State, 157 in the slot last year, 768 overall. But man, that quickness, his release, the top end speed, and the sure hands, just a 5.2% drop rate for Jahan Dotson makes me think that he can do that without issue in addition to his big playability inside. Drake London from USC, 50 snaps in the slot, 490 out wa- or 490 total, I should say. But he was nearly exclusively in the slot in 2020 and 2019. 95% of his snaps were inside over those two years combined, and just a smidge over 10% this last season. Uh, 
John Mechie, 236 snaps in the slot, 774 total. That's a great mix right there for a guy that can play multiple spots. We've talked about John Mechie in this podcast and how much I love his quickness, his long skill or long speed, and his big playmaking ability. Sky Moore's in that same vein, 252 in the slot, 824 total. He had interesting shifts over the last three years there at Western Michigan from one sixth of his snaps uh, to two thirds in the second year and then up to or down to a quarter this final season. But clearly he does both well. Chris Olave, Ohio State, had a great combine with a 4-3-6-40. 111 snaps in the slot, 687 total. His slot snaps increased every year. He can do both clearly. How about Jamison Williams? Talk about him a lot too, Alabama receiver. 196 in the slot, 832 total. Again, another really good mix there for this receiver. Almost exclusively an outside guy before that, but he had, you know, he was at Ohio State, transferred to Alabama, had a hard time getting on the field at Ohio State most of the time there. But we saw how explosive he is both inside and out with the Bama Crimson Tide. And with him, I go back to what DJ said about that one missed tackle and it's good night defense. That level of speed, that suddenness, that quick separation at the line, you know. Just like Waddle excels with. I I just keep thinking about the conflict that you want to and can create with all this going on at the line on play fakes, jet sweeps, pre-snap motion, RPO possibilities, the quick game, and you get two guys that can score from anywhere out there. That just creates more conflict for those guys to deal with, especially when you think about the ability to get that thing in your favor numbers-wise and then just flip it to the favorable side. Like Come to the line with the Z slant, and you can check to that and go to the X slant and vice versa as well. And on Pro Football Focus's scouting report on Jamison Williams, they wrote, Shiftiness at the line is different for a speedster. He's both quick and fast and sells his vertical routes by changing speed and attacking leverage. So all very fascinating stuff here. And I'm excited to keep getting into this class and really explore this draft on the other side of free agency. But free agency is still a week off. So let's go ahead and stay with the combine and get you some crazy facts from the week that was in Indy. And we'll finish up with my takeaways from Indy as it relates to to the Miami Dolphins. That's next. Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield. We are back here on the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield talking all things scouting combine. And we have a list of really crazy, crazy occurrences and accomplishments that happened over the week in Indianapolis. Starting with this one, let's go ahead and just list off these great uh, research notes we got from the NFL and, and Taylor Allison does a great job with her team to put these together for us. So we really appreciate that with next gen and all the stuff they do at the NFL to provide us these, these research packets before games and as well as uh, with the scouting combine and things of that nature. So 31 players ran a sub four, four forty yard dash. That was the most since 2003. The combine had an average of 4.7140 times. That's the fastest of any combine since 03 as well. These notes go back to 03, so you're going to hear that a lot. It also featured three of the four fastest position groups at a single combine since 03, headlined by the defensive backs. It was the DBs, the receivers, and the running backs this year with a a great average time for the DBs, 4.45, for the receivers, 4.48, and the running backs at 4.5 average this year. That was three of the top four position group averages occurred in this class going back to 03. Had a couple of really impressive times, including defensive back Kalen Barnes, whose 4-2-3-40 was the fastest ever by a defensive player since 03. And John Ross at the receiver was a 4-2-2, just a hundredth of a second faster than Kalen Barnes there. Virginia Tech edge rusher Amari Barno had a 4-3-6 40-yard dash. 4-3-6. 
the fastest by any defensive lineman since 03. And the next closest wasn't really all that close. Montez Sweat at 441. Just absolutely outrageous. Daniel Falele's 384 pound measurement was the heaviest by 15 pounds since 03. The next heaviest was TJ Barnes back in 2013. He was a defensive lineman at 369 pounds. Jordan Davis just blew the whole damn combine up. Fastest 40-yard dash by a player, 310 pounds or more. He's 341, so he breaks that by a fair margin. 4.78 seconds on the 40. Longest broad jump by a 300-plus pound player, 10 foot 3. And the highest vertical by any player, 340 pounds plus. 32 inches. What an what an outrageous specimen he is. And then Aiden Hutchinson had a 6733 cone drill. That's the fastest by a defensive lineman who's six foot five or better since 03. That's it's impressive stuff. These guys, they get more impressive every single year, I swear. We mentioned Kalen Barnes's blazing fast 40-yard dash. Tariq Woolen also came right in that that range with a 42640, which was the fastest by a player who is six foot four. And or, or more, and the fastest by a player of at least 200 pounds at the Combine since 2003. So they're not just fast, they're built as well. Pretty cool little idea here put together in this research packet that Baylor kind of won the event in terms of the 40-yard dash with Kalen Barnes at 4-2-3, Tyquan Thornton at 4-2-8, and then defensive back JT Woods at 4-3-6. All three of them had a sub-4-4 40-yard dash. That was the first school with three such players at a single Combine again, since 2003, and Baylor had more sub-4-3 players this year alone than any other school had at the combined since 2003. So they talk about medals for like first, second, and third place finishes. Here is how the schools and medal counts went. Georgia had 11 of their medals with three golds, two silvers, and six bronze. Arizona State had eight. Cincinnati had six. Baylor had six. Michigan had five. Brown, Sam Houston, Memphis, and Notre Dame all had five. So those were kind of your kings of the combine in terms of teams that had the best overall combine from a testing metric standpoint and finishing first, second, and third in their position groups. Now, as far as the players, EJ Perry from Brown had 12 medal points. Running back Brees Hall from Iowa State, who had a bunch of production there. We'll be talking about him a lot more in this process. One of the top running backs on the board. Six overall medal points. Calvin Austin the third from Memphis is a true separator and true just route running maven with excellent, excellent straight line speed to boot. He had 10 medal points. Tight end Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State, one of the best blocking tight ends in this class, had seven medal points as well. So the athletic testing pairs well with his physicality. My guy Abraham Lucas from Washington State, go Cougs, checks in with seven medal points. And then defensive line, Virginia Tech, Amari Barno. Obviously, he had six with Aiden Hutchinson also having six in that regard. Linebackers, Chad Muma from Wyoming, who we talked a little bit about his processing and playing the signal caller green dot position. He had six medal points. And then among defensive backs, another guy I spoke to with pure track speed, Zion McCollum, the safety out of Sam Houston, 11 medal points for him. That was almost the most, only behind EJ Perry, the Brown quarterback there. So really fascinating stuff here on this. What else we got? Taking a look at this research packet and compiling some of the next-gen stats that they provide, the athleticism score, production score, size score, and then final draft score, which is how they project a player will perform in the NFL based on their analytical profile heading into it. And they have some names here, a perfect 99 score as far as their draft score from the 2022 prospects. Iowa's center Tyler Linderbaum, who you guys know is a first-round prospect, true and true. Alabama's tackle Evan Neal, who is 370 pounds but looks to be like 310, like he's cut and in good shape. It's it's outrageous. 
Iowa State's Brees Hall, the running back, 99 also. So those are the three guys. Then the highest total scores, Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson, 95. Cincinnati's Sauce, or Ahmad Sauce Gardner, I should say. So those were your top five draft scores now that the combine is complete. As far as the offense goes, Linderbaum and Neal with Brees Hall third. Jamison Williams was fourth with a 92. And then tackle Equam Equanu from North Carolina State, 91. And the Mississippi State tackle Charles Cross was 91 as well. So again, some of those big-time offensive linemen, four of the top six in there along the offensive line with Brees Hall and Jamison Williams. The other two across the defense, Hutchinson and Gardner, the top two. Derek Stingley, kind of the forgotten-about cornerback who after his freshman year there at LSU, was basically step-for-step with Pat Sertan from Alabama, the second Pat Sertan, as far as the top prospects in the the country. He checks in with a 92. Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, 92. And Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton at 90. Round out the top five draft scores uh, on the defensive side of the football. The 99 play or the players who were 99 on the next gen athletic score. So not the overall draft score, but just the athletic scorecard. North Dakota State's Christian Watson, who's had a hell of an offseason. He might go in the first round too after his senior bowl and his combine. And you go back and look at his tape, man. He just put dudes in the blender all day long. Wake Forest tackle Zach Tom. Again, Brees Hall on here as well. South Dakota State running back Pierre Strong Jr. And then there's that man again, Sam Houston State's Zion McCollum. Just a flat burner and athletic maven there. We mentioned Watson, Tom, Hall, and Strong Jr. as uh, the top, or the perfect 99 scores for athletic scorecard. Rounding out the top five there is Central Michigan's Bernard Raymond. We'll hear from him here in just one second as well. The highest defensive player athletic scorecard was Zion McCollum. Jordan Davis was second with 98. Kalen Barnes, 97. Tariq Castro-Fields, the cornerback from Penn State, a 97. And Michigan safety Daxton Hill was a 96. His tape is fantastic as well. Finishing up here with some of those stats from the combine, the Georgia Bulldogs had an excellent combine with 14 players being invited. That was the second most behind LSU in 2020, who had 16. And, you know, between Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, who's probably going to be a top 10, 15 pick, uh, James Cook having a faster 40 than his brother Dalvin a few years back, Lewis Seen and what he did at the combine from the safety position, they just continue to blow it up there or blow things up, I should say, throughout the course of the season to the offseason into the draft here for that Georgia team and that Georgia defense. Let's go ahead and talk about some mock drafts here on the other side of the combine. And I thought there were going to be a lot more out there, but we do get three quality ones here from three good outlets. And we start with Kyle Krabs at the Draft Network, who winds up taking Jahan Dotson, the Penn State receiver for the Miami Dolphins, with that 29th pick. And he writes, the Dolphins are searching for more explosive options on offense, giving them continued explosiveness after the catch. Jalen Waddell is a great start, but if Mike McDaniel's offensive vision is going to come to life, we need to see more Dolph- uh, the Dolphins allocate more dynamic threats on the offense. And, you know, talk about Jahan Dotson, 4-4-3-40, cone, 36-inch vert, 10-foot-1 broad. He is explosive. The two-way goes from that inside position. The catchability, we talked about the 5.2% drop rate. He does a little bit of everything. At CBS, Ryan Wilson took Trevor Penning with a 29th pick. We heard from him in Indianapolis talking about his punishing mentality, the guy that was getting chippy at the Senior Bowl, and just the way he plays and the technique he he displays. Really good-looking player. The blurb here was, Penning continues to grow on us as we make our way through the pre-draft process. The man plays with an edge, and the sole intent is to prove any remaining doubters wrong. He had a strong season and a dominant at-times Senior Bowl week, and he plays with an edge. 
something the Dolphins' offensive line could use here to embark on the Mike McDaniel era. He had a 9.96 relative athletic score. That's out of 10, so very, very good there. 4.8940, cone, 9.03 broad, 28-inch vert, and a 171 10-yard split. These next numbers here are all in the 90th or better percentile. His 282 20-yard split, his 462 shuttle, both in the 90th percentile there with those two explosive measurements, which are so key for these offensive linemen. And we'll go ahead and finish up here with USA Today. As they take another offensive lineman, we go back to talking about explosive players. Central Michigan's Bernard Raymond, he also killed this thing with a 981 scorecard, 30.5 inch vert, 909 broad, 50540, 449 shuttle, and a 7.463 cone. So again, these guys that can move, these guys that are smart, these guys that are kind of nasty on the offensive lineman, on the offensive line, there's a lot of them. So those three picks will be. A part of my final segment here as we get to the five Dolphins takeaways from Indianapolis next here on the Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We are back here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, taking a look back at the week that was in Indianapolis, and I want to go ahead and pick it up with five takeaways for the Miami Dolphins from this 2022 scouting combine. And the first takeaway here for me is the depth, and particularly at a select few positions and how it benefits Miami's flexibility ahead of free agency and the offseason as a whole and how that jives with where the strength seems to be in this draft. And that idea really is twofold. Both the positions that seem to really have some good depth and the fact that the sweet spot does seem to be both from you know Daniel Jeremiah or Emery Hunt or even Ben Solak or Jordan Reed told us on the podcast last week as well that it seems to be the sweet spot in the late first round through the end of day two, which is where three of our picks exist, right? And then that's, we'll see what free agency brings, but I think the Dolphins could potentially be in the most, that, that position that every team that's not in envies, right? The, the, come the conclusion of free agency, one where you can just stick and pick BPA with, with, you know, no big glaring holes in the roster you have to fill before you can line up to play a football game, I think Miami has a chance to get to that position heading into the draft. And we've seen this roster built up over the last couple of years. And that's what you angle towards, right? Having your opportunity to build the best quality roster. When you can just start putting the best player available into that position, you have to feel great about that when you have as few holes as possible. And again, free agency can change the shape of a draft, and it certainly will this year, as we will have to see what happens with Emmanuel Ogba, Matt Collins, Nick Needham, and some of those free agents up for new contracts. And then what the open market also looks like for the Dolphins when they hit free agency next week. But again, that's talking about, you know, tight end, edge, receiver, the offensive line as well. Those might be four of the deepest positions in this entire draft. And, you know, linebacker and running back ain't too shabby either. Takeaway number two is the Dolphins interview process seem to be a hit among the process. And look, I've seen this bandied about on social media a little bit. And I don't personally care for it, but players get asked a lot about who they've met with in the process. I don't like it because I think you should try to ask questions that helps everybody there. And a good quality football question always does the trick. However, there was a lot of questions posed to prospects about their meetings and their Dolphins meetings. And the players that I heard talk about that just about unanimously said they enjoyed talking ball with the Dolphins' various staff. David Bell from Purdue said he was a big Wes Welker fan and enjoyed talking with him. 
Trent McDuffie told us about his dad being a diehard Dolphins fan. Then we had the Zion Johnson discourse and Alex Lindstrom discussing Matt Applebottom, his hands-on approach to helping guys and the admiration they had for their offensive line coach in college and just how that kind of corroborates the stuff we've been talking about for the last month or so with the coaching staff and the themes of teaching and adapting and really earning favorable remarks from their players. The third takeaway here was I was thinking about this the other day when watching the new show on Apple TV called Severance. Have you seen that? Have you heard about it? It's a trip. But in one scene, one of the main characters was sculpting a ball of clay in this kind of decompressing session he had at his company to demonstrate his feelings. A a tough task, right? Well, here's how my brain works. I saw that and made me think about how we talk about, you know, air quotes, this prospect is a ball of clay. If you can mold him there, you might hit the jackpot. First, players that really come to mind there for me are Josh Allen and Micah Parsons. You know, Allen was a traitsy demigod type of potential quarterback that had to develop, and boy, did he. Then Micah Parsons playing off-ball his entire college career before flipping down to play the edge in the NFL and becoming one of the best sack artists in the entire league. Now, we've covered the importance of teaching and developing, and that's something we've talked about in the podcast with a lot of position groups within this roster and the coaching staff that's you know both here previously and the newcomers coming on and the success those guys have had in those rooms getting guys to improve and the trajectory going upwards and realizing that potential. So the takeaway is that in a draft where the class is breaking all kinds of combine records and displaying never-before-seen athletic ability and physical traits, can the Dolphins bring in some of those balls of clay and mold them? That's the hope, right? <clears throat> takeaway number four is that Although we don't know exactly what it is yet, I think it's clear to tell that there will be an aligned vision and approach for the offseason. Obviously, this is Coach McDaniel and his staff's first time doing this, so we don't exactly have past experiences to tell the story or lay the groundwork for what you can kind of follow the breadcrumbs for it to be. I mean, we have schematic ideas, obviously, and those, you know, those take you so far. But I think the key here is the vision is aligned with, and we heard that throughout the course of the week, We'll explain more in the next takeaway here with the assistant coaching staff, but also with Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel touching on, you know, empowering Tua and the skill sets he displayed that got them all excited when the video clips they cut up to show you what he can do within the system and getting as much out of you can out of the incumbents. McDaniel discussing his preference for yak yards and blocking at the second and third level and the trust he has in Josh Boyer and the incumbents on the defensive staff to continue building a defense that he said gave him fits when he was in San Francisco and how much he hated that scheme and a defense that has played really well the last two years. That's got me excited, just like number five here has me excited, and that is finally just how much fun the content has been for us all to consume as Dolphins fans over the last couple of months and here with the Combine for sure. I'm not. I'm talking about the non-drive time entities, like the stuff that I get to see the rest of our squad produce, for instance... Coach and his interview circuit has been super enjoyable, obviously. From the Rich Eisen moment to the Pat McAfee show, it's all been so much damn fun. And what about this next part here with Sam, Pat, and Wes sitting down with OJ Juice McDuffie? And I don't know about you guys, I'm sure it's the same way, but I got really fired up watching this. You know, Sam saying that getting to learn their craft, then come back to their real home, that was a warm and fuzzies moment in an interview that really was all about warm and fuzzies to me as a you know lifelong Dolphins fan, but... Pat saying that Sam has already been putting him through the ringer, which, I mean, you know that he was he was drafted in the second round one year prior to Pat being drafted in the second round by the Miami Dolphins. And of course, you'll hear in this interview as well, the 10 on 10 story. You guys play 10 on 10. I'm good out here. 
by my lonesome. What else would you expect from Sam in the coaching room or the coaching staff, I should say. And how about Wes talking about the, the process kind of coming together here? Let's go ahead and play this audio from Wes talking about getting the job and, and his whole thought process going into this whole thing. As well, pretty much. No, I mean, it's a special thing. Um, you know, starting out my career here, playing with these guys and, and come along with McDaniel and, and uh, the relationship that we've formed together and then the type of coaching staff he's been together and bringing guys along like Pat and Sam and just the dynamic that we have on this coaching staff is it's, it's, it's really special. And I think uh, people are going to see that. Um, you know, as we get this thing rolling and, and we start, you know, um, teaching these players and adding players and, you know, doing whatever we need to do to, uh, you know, win games. And, and that's, that's the bottom line for us. And, and uh, having competitors like these guys to coach with and knowing the energy that they're going to bring and uh, being around McDaniel and um, knowing his philosophy and what he believes in and, it's uh, it's going to be a special deal, and I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I thought it was also cool to hear Wes say that when he first heard that Mike was in the running, how he was thinking it would be cool if Mike got the job and maybe he'd bring me with him. That was kind of cool to see Wes go through that. And then Sam says if you cut him or Pat, they're going to bleed aqua and orange. Like, enough said, Coach, enough said. Speaking of Sam, let's go ahead and play some audio from him talking a little bit here about his getting the job here and talking to Mike McDaniel at first. Here's Sam Madison. I was on vacation. <laughs> I, I already had a job. I was already in place. Um, and then he he called me. He's like, Sam, this is a this is very, you know, something that I haven't been through before. You played in Miami for a very long time. I'm going to grant you the opportunity. So for Coach McDaniels to give me the call, the opportunity, you know, it just was really uh, special. And I was very happy, you know, because – just we've done Finsiders for a number of years together, and we sit there, we talk about, you know, our players and want to get our players better because we want our team to be better. And for the opportunity to come back and do it, I was all aboard. And, you know, we have a really good group of guys, and hopefully we can just give them the knowledge that we've been able to learn since we've been playing, coaching, and all the different things, and then just – put it all together and put a very good product out on the football field. And I think all the coaches that we brought in the building, that's their mindset. That's what we want to do, and that's what we're going to do. And it's not going to be easy, but guess what? We're up for the challenge every single time we stepped on the field, so we're ready for that challenge now. Oh, my goodness. So so much to chew into there. So talking about how he already had the job and, and Mike calling him and basically granting him the opportunity to get that job with the Miami Dolphins and mentioning him playing for the Dolphins for so long before that, the understanding of the history and tradition and the fans, you know, kind of love of those players, that goes a long way. But then Sam going on talking about how he wants to make our players better. Like these guys are A, great coaches, and B, they're Dolphins fans. How great is that? And oh yeah, C, they can show you tape of themselves doing exactly what they're asking you to do. It's a nice little triple play there for these Dolphins coaches. Then later on in the interview, Pat reaching out to Sam to say, hey, you going to bring me with you? And then sure enough, the answer is, well, yeah. And then within five minutes of meeting with Coach McDaniel, that was done. Clearly on Coach McDaniel's radar to get these dudes in the building. Later, Wes talks about building relationships, teaching players. And you can see that message that McDaniel has driven home in Wes Welker and their similar beliefs, you know, the video clips, the examples of how to do certain things and coaching off of experiences they had in the league. You know, I don't want to give you guys the entire interview. Go check it out on the YouTube channel. It's very, very, very worth your time. 23 minutes of gold with four legends of the National Football League and now with the Miami Dolphins on the coaching staff and Juice, obviously with us here on the media side. So that's it for the 
Sam West and Pat, the takeaways, the combine week. I have Kent Platt, who does the RAS scorecards, lined up for a show later on this week. You don't want to miss that one. Before we get out of here, though, a quick story that I really dropped the ball on. So I was going to have Jeff Darlington do the podcast, I think it was midweek. You guys know who Jeff Darlington is from ESPN. And we had kind of talked about a, a potential time to sit down and talk at the combine. And obviously he's a very busy guy and we were running around getting people for our, our interviews as well. So two busy entities trying to not be two ships crossing in the night and it didn't work out. And I, at one point I, I didn't have his phone number and I was thinking about reaching out to him and Jordan Reed from ESPN said, I'll, I'll shoot him a text and it just never happened for us. And then later on that week, I run into him at Harry and Izzy's and he's sitting there with another big time media member and an NFL defensive coordinator. And I go up to, uh, I walk over there and he calls me over and says like, what the hell, man? And I was like, what do you mean? What the hell? I thought you were busy and, and couldn't, couldn't get to it. And he said, no, why don't you just text me? I said, well, I don't have your number, Jeff. And so I give him my phone. He's going to put his phone, his phone number in my phone. And he goes and types it in and he goes, how dumb do you feel now as he shows me my phone? And there it says, Jeff Darlington had the number in there. So my bad, Jeff, we'll get you on the podcast here very, very soon. Also, great to see my first ever podcast co-host, Kevin Dern. He does a weekly podcast himself. So give him a follow at KevinMD4. And I guess it's a tradition at this point that we always toast a glass of Johnny Walker Blue at the Combine. So cheers to you, my friend. And Alex Kajawa, who I, who I met at the Combine this week. Great to meet you, man. A lifelong Finns fan who grew up in Wisconsin and taught me all about the absolutely insane names of towns in the state of Wisconsin. Told me about Oshkosh. What? That one stood out. And then there was one that rhymed with Milwaukee, but it wasn't Milwaukee. What was it? I can't remember. Fellow Wisconsin Finn fans out there, help me out. So that was my week in Indianapolis. Not a whole lot. I, I just pretty much worked and went back to the hotel room. And you guys heard me in the spaces on Wednesday. Speaking of the spaces, we'll be back on this Wednesday. Me, Seth, and OJ talking about that. Sit down with Sam and Pat and Wes, as well as my week in Indianapolis and some, some free agency and some draft stuff. You won't want to miss that. We'll also have a mailbag uh, edition of the podcast coming your way here in the coming weeks. You do not want to miss that. In the meantime, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins across all social channels. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. Almost forgot the names there. And then also the YouTube channel for our media availabilities as well as Dolphins today. And of course, the sit down with Juice, Wes, Sam, and Pat. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy is coming upstairs.